Welcome to episode 107 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hello. It is Monday night, June 1st, 2015. A chilly evening here in Pittsburgh. Nice way to kick off the summer months with 50 degree days. It was hot as shit this weekend, but today, get your jackets out, kids. I went to sleep with the windows open last night, and when I woke up, I was freezing cold. Even though I went to bed scalding hot, I couldn't fall asleep because it was so warm. And then I woke up this morning and I had like the blankets all wrapped around me. I had my cat like on top of me just to make sure I was extra warm. You wiggled out of your clothes again? Uh, no, I managed to stay in my clothes this That's time. That's right, you're a nude sleeper. Subconsciously. Start clothed. Nude stripper. Sneaks er, out sleep, of the, sleep stripper. And the, the watches of the night. What happens is I subconsciously just need to derobe. Disrobe? Well, you say tomato, I say tomato. But the point is, I had the windows open last night, and when I woke up, I I had a sore throat. Do you ever, like, on a chilly night, you wake up with a sore throat because mm-hmm. of that? Going from those temperatures, you got pneumonia instantaneously. <laughs> yeah, well, I had pneumonia back when we did the uh, pod races back in October. You remember those, right, Paul? Uh, the old pod races. When we debated the now defunct... Uh, what were they called? The Nerd Exchange. The Nerd Exchange. Of Western Pennsylvania. I believe that they still function in some capacity, but their their franchise has been damaged. Due to the thrashing that they received at the hands of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. We dare them to pick the microphones up again and talk to the people. Do you know what I dare you to do, Ian? I can guess, but tell me. Paul, why don't you tell them? I dare you to do housekeeping. I think I can. I have a lot of things to keep house this week. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you're here with us right now, you know, mixsauce.com. It's the main hub of all our creative endeavors. You can find the webcomic, the reviews, our Twitter, our podcast, all there on mixsauce.com. You can find us in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podomatic, Libsyn, all those different places. You can also follow along with us and comment on some of the things that we have on the Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com forward slash mixsauce, you can like our page. We have over 400 fans that like our page. So thank you to each and every one of you out there for liking the page. Um, I wanted to take this time because we talk a lot about ourselves. So I wanted to take this time to maybe talk about some other people that some friends of ours that are doing creative things. We recently received in the mail some power rings. all of the Green Lantern, the, the full spectrum of Power Rings. The emotional color spectrum. And those came from our friend Daniel Doing at Doing Cosplays Production. You can find his work at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash doing cosplays. And we'll also post some links there as well as some pictures of us wearing said rings of power. Paul, which ring did you have on tonight? I chose orange, which represents avarice, also known as greed. 
I had pink, which is love, because I love things. Because you're a lover. I am a lover. Why isn't there a soul ring? Because Jeff Johns is a racist. <laughs> How dare you. He kind of is. He's Arab American. He can't be. Is he really? Uh-huh. I don't know that. Sounds like you made that up. I like him less already. Matt, what oh. ring did you... Oh! Oh! Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> he is so used to racism, he didn't even pick up Just on it. bounced right <laughs> off me. Uh, Hair Matt, which uh, ring did you <laughs> select? I went with the black ring. Death. Death. Well, that's because when I punch you in the face with it, you'll get a black eye. Oh! Alright, enough of that. I'm here all week, folks. Another friend of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, The Guest Room Podcast. If you go to facebook.com forward slash The Guest Room Pod, you can like his page. He also has his podcast on theguestroompodcast.libsyn.com. It's our good friend Larry, a childhood friend of Paul McGinty. Larry's been doing some really cool stuff. Uh, the last couple episodes he's been really up to date with some recent movies so much so that i haven't been able to listen to them because i haven't seen ex machina or mad max yet he did two different ex machina reviews which were really good one was his personal review is just him getting out of the movie theater and then he brought along uh cadwell one of his friends that appears on the show from time to time and they had a discussion about ex machina after the first podcast i actually went out and saw the movie because he had such glowing things to say about it so check out some of larry's stuff he's on stitcher he's on itunes you can find him on libsyn the guest room podcast.libsyn.com all i know about ex machina is that there's robot sex there's robot sex there's a lot of Sexy robots running around this uh, this uh, you know cavernous. Let me tell you research one of the laboratory. Sexiest robots I've ever seen. Are you ready? Yes. It's from it's Summer Glau from the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Right. But it was the one ad they were running where it was just her robotic torso like hung up on a rack. Oh and yeah. You could see like her metal spine I outside that. of her. Super sexy that upper torso. That was showing up on all the comic book bags at the comic shop uh, the you know, <clears throat> the month or whatever before that, that series aired. And then, you know, comic book stores had those bags on hand pretty much well past the expiration date of that show. So I was looking at that image long after it went off the air. Good thing she was so sexy. There In Ex Machina, there are a few scenes where there are some hanging torsos of sexy robots so yeah very similar to that image that you had hottest robot torso now, i've ever seen I, about comic book bags um i don't know if you guys get a choice at your respective comic book store but me when i go to arkham gift shop i get to choose paper or plastic oh yeah i do and not being very environmentally conscious I still do pick paper because I like the way it sounds. I like the way it feels. I like the way it smells. I like I, the smell of a good paper bag. Yeah. Now, I don't care about a plastic bag. I don't want a plastic bag. Don't give me a plastic bag. I want paper. I want paper or, well, then I'll take plastic if I can't have paper, but I want, I want paper first. Here's how I feel about the paper bag in the comic shop. 
I associate the paper bag with pornography. So when I'm walking out of the comic shop, because it's not, the, the Phantom of the Attic is on the second floor. A lot of people don't even know it's there. You just come out of this mysterious stairwell into the parking lot next to a, the nail salon. And every time I walk out of there with that plastic bag, there's a line of cars on the street at the light. There's people in the windows of the nail salon. And every one of them that sees me come out of this shady stairwell with a plastic bag or with a paper bag meant so that you can't see through it. Everyone is like, that dude just bought some porno. <laughs> I would I feel didn't. like... I bought comic books. Yeah, you did, but... I would feel like out of all of us here, you would be the one that would care the least if someone thought you bought a porno. I'm not, I, I'm not worried about it. I just that's, like, that's what I think about every time I leave the shop with that paper bag. I feel like the only thing that would bother you is that somebody would think that you weren't frugal enough to just download it for free off the internet. Or you're a old school traditionalist. You like the feel of... Of a porno mag. You like you like the challenge of trying to hold the magazine open with one hand while you, you know, try research. To, <laughs> while you, yeah. I'm a crotchety old man. I like I like paper. <laughs> I like the old school medium. Reminds me of the old days when porno was hard to come by. Mm, it really was at one time. When a days. box of pornography in the woods behind an empty house was like finding pirate's treasure. What's insane is that's like, I feel like a real treasure that almost every adolescent boy stumbled upon somehow. Like it, it was a real thing and it was the holy grail of treasures. Oh, I loved it. It was the greatest. If you had a friend who... His dad had a stash of <laughs> pornography, and you would go and you know that's oh, I'll take it out in the woods. Speaking of Larry from the guest room, <laughs> oh, was he that guy for you? Was his he your hookup? His dad's a yeah. Well, we I that's uh, a magical friend. Well, that did happen, but like my chief porno supply was the box we found. Not Larry and I, me and a different friend we found behind in a, a abandoned house yeah. in our neighborhood. It was in an abandoned house? It was in the backyard of an abandoned house. Did you scoop up all your it's like treasure findings treasure. and run into the abandoned house and look at it? No, the abandoned house was super creepy. Like, I'm sure it wasn't... I'm sure the rumors weren't real, but the rumor was that there that a murder happened in there, and that's why it was abandoned, and then it went into... That'll do it. The house went into disrepair, and no one bought it. And it was open, I mean, I'm sure... Like older kids were going in there smoking dope oh, and sir. drinking and stuff, <laughs> but dope. in the in the dining room, like and we went in, we necking, we creeped petting. around the the first floor because we were too afraid to go upstairs or to the basement. But in the dining room, there was this big dark stain on the carpet, and like you could, it looked like blood. I was gonna say you could get yourself to believe that it was blood. But, like, you didn't need to work that hard. It looked like a giant fucking bloodstain. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was or wasn't, but... Maybe the story was The place true. was creepy enough that uh, once we got the pornos out of there... When you were a kid, both of you guys, did you did you like to go to, like, new construction sites? Like, ride your bike down, like, to, like, these new constructions where it was just, like, the wooden 2x4 framework and stuff and just kind of run around in it? 
I didn't make a habit of it. I think maybe once or twice I might would, have done that. Like you but. could ride your bike to a new plant or whatever that was being developed and you would find these houses that were kind of dangerous because they didn't have like the land filled in around the house. So there would be like a two by four that would like walk across kind of like a five foot ditch or whatever. Like kind of dangerous for a nine year old, right? But here I am like riding my bike across that two by four. I was a little freak. You're um, a daredevil. I was a little dared. I didn't care. I didn't know that it was dangerous. You had no fear. Thinking back, I'm like, He doesn't know what that means. <laughs> Mom, where were you as a parent? She was saying, go outside and play. You need to leave the house I guess for so. like 10 hours today. I, I probably drove my mother insane. I feel like I was not a, a well, like behaved kid like I feel like I was constantly looking for shit to get into trouble with but now you're such a well behaved young man I'm well behaved true I have manners probably the most behaved of the McSauce podcast oh definitely definitely (laughs) if anything and uh one one last plug speaking of in the woods and pornography (laughs) uh I was on... Those go hand-in-hand hand with Ryan McCormick. Yeah. I, I, Ryan McCormick and Tiffany Moore both have podcasts. I was uh, on the More Than You Can Chew podcast this week. I was joined by Ryan and our friend Desiree. We were talking about women's fear of being raped in the woods. How chicks can get pizza on Tinder, which that's an odd and different thing. We were talking about the, uh, we had a heated argument about women going to bars and getting laid and is that an automatic layup kind of thing or is it a little harder than people think? And I also explained Fifty Shades of Grey. I went to see that film a while ago. My wife read the books and saw the movie so we talked a little bit about that. And uh, I guess next week there's a special treat because I, I talk about uh, how I lost my virginity on the show. So more than you can chew.libson.com. You can also check out a fireside chat.libson.com and check out what Ryan and Tiffany are both up to. They have really great podcasts and a lot of good and interesting things to say. I enjoyed this first episode. It was a lot of fun to do. it today. Yeah, yeah, those always seem like a lot of fun to do. Tiffany said that the McSauce crew should come on one day and... We should. Have a... I'll do it. So we'll all go over, sit in the the red light studio and... Oh, I like it already. Let's go. When, they have a lot of us? like mood going on there. I'm sure what? she'd have uh, us on. What ambiance. Yeah, I'm sure she'd have us on anytime. Well. Tiffany's always welcoming, so... We'll have to we'll have to go over there and check out uh, their their studios. Is there any other house you need to keep? That's all. It was a big, giant-sized housekeeping. But I want to support all of our friends. I would like to take this minute to talk a little bit. I want to give the listeners an update to the Rob Liefeld Commission saga, the ongoing, just. I, I, it's just a saga. It's an epic at this point. This fiasco started at Wizard World in Philadelphia over a month ago. I don't know how long ago it was at this point. Probably about a month ago. What day was Wizard World Philadelphia? 
Uh, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th of May. Okay, so it was approximately three weeks ago. Uh, the Cliff Notes version is, I went up to Rob Liefeld, I asked for a, a commission sketch, I paid him up front, uh, I went to collect my sketch, he had already left the convention uh, a good day and a half before the convention was over. I contacted him via Twitter. I said, could I get my sketch? He said, yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, great. Uh, it took several more tweets. Um, he never seems to respond to my replies to his tweets. He only responds to fresh, brand new tweets. I don't understand that. It makes no sense. We all have our quirks. Right. So, um, finally, after several tweets, and I don't want to like blow them up like 13,000 in one day over my stupid sketch. Meanwhile, I don't also want to communicate with him via a public forum like Twitter. I was hoping he would follow me back so that way him and I could send private messages back and forth to conduct some business. He has not done that, so I've had to resort to public uh, communications. Public so, begging. So, uh, finally, I got through to him and I said, um, he said, well, send uh, shipping money to, to my PayPal. Great, what's your PayPal? That might have helped. Um, finally, he responds, he gives me his PayPal address. I send him on May 14th, exactly two weeks ago, a payment of the requested amount, $15. I gave him $15, and in my little payment, I put a little note to Rob Liefeld. It says here right on my receipt from PayPal, note to Rob Liefeld. I give him my address. I said, sorry for the for the confusion on this. I appreciate you sending this to me, thanks. $15 sent. I have my tra transaction ID number and everything. Don't hear from him for two weeks. I reached out to him either today or yesterday, and I said, hey, Rob, uh, any update on getting that thing? He's like, send me your address. Oh my God, dude, <laughs> are you kidding me? I, I don't wanna send it on Twitter. I don't wanna put my address on Twitter. I said, check your PayPal, did you get it? No response. Meanwhile, I'm seeing Rob Liefeld is the most active Twitterer in the world, in the known world, in the known universe to man. He tweets every second, which is crazy because I know he sees every movie on the planet. He is tweeting while he's seeing movies. There's no question. He so he's to... inconsiderate as well as a high-volume tweeter. He, <laughs> he has to be. He has to be tweeting during movies in order to get that many tweets out. He sees every movie. He saw Tomorrowland, Mad Max. The disaster movie, whatever that's San called. San Andreas, this weekend's box office smash hit. What a disappointing summer for movies, by the way, so far. If I can just say that after... Because May is usually your heavy hitters. You know, you come out with, like, the big, big, big movies. <laughs> Not impressed so far. But anyway, so this is where we are right now with the Rob Liefeld situation. I still have... $215 invested in a sketch that I paid for almost a month ago that I do not have in my possession. I've given the man my address. I've paid for shipping. I've reached out numerous times, and yet I feel like I couldn't be less of a concern for him. Not that I need to be. Hey, it's just me, right? I only 
uh, am a co-host on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. But damn it, I paid for this sketch. Send me the damn sketch, Rob. You're pissing me off. I feel like by the time you get this sketch, you're going to burn it. I have gotten to the point where I kind of don't care anymore. Maybe when I receive it in the mail, I'll get excited again. But at this point, if Rob would say, you know what, do you just want your money back? I would say, fuck yes, I do. I want my money back. I don't care. The the joy and the fun has been taken out because it's not just like I'm waiting, you know, he's busy with this or that. I'm just waiting for him to get around to it. Like, dude, maybe take 10 minutes before your movie and ship the damn thing to me. You got your money. You got your money. He doesn't have to do anything more than put it in a sleeve, send it away. It's done. He did the hard work. He created the sketch. It's finished. Right. Just needs to fucking ship it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's taking a, a big-time supporter of his that has been by his side, for the most part, through years and years of internet ridicule and hatred. Um, and, you know, this fan is starting to turn a little bit. He needs to come through. He needs to come through at this point. I'm going to reach out one more time until I start getting a little bit shitty. I'll, give, I'll be nice one more time. And Rob, if you hear this, please just send me my sketch. Paul, what do you think? It's disappointing to me that he is not going out of his way to rectify this situation. Yeah. I understand. He's Rob Liefeld. Right. And he's a superstar comic book artist. And he's got legions of fans along with his legions of detractors. But I don't know. I feel like if, if I was in that situation and who knows, maybe fame would change me if I got to that lofty of heights. But I don't know. I, f I feel like if it was me, I'd want to do everything I could to right a wrong toward a fan. Like, I would not want this to be an issue. And I understand he's got billions of fans. What's one Matt Cassell upon the hordes and hordes of Rob Liefeld supporters? But especially from somebody that already received so much hatred, you would think that you would be careful to treat your fans that... Yeah, and you know, into your work and with it's someone kid gloves. That, it's someone that Rob met and fist bumped and shook hands with. He was so and cool to me in person. I really he, was. He really in person. He really seemed like someone that wouldn't let this kind of thing happen, and it's really disappointing that it is. I don't know. That's if, all. I don't know if it's a Twitter setting or something where he doesn't see replies to certain tweets. You know. I'm sure this guy gets a ton of tweets like at Rob Liefeld or whatever. Maybe it's hard to keep track. So I'm, I'm really trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I am really losing my patience too. And it's like, I wasn't going to get a fucking $200 sketch from Rob Liefeld, but in the moment, being there with Paul, who may as well have been dressed in a red devil suit and perched on my shoulder... <laughs> Being like, yeah, yeah, just do it, just do it. It's only two hundred dollars. Come on, you're never gonna get what this chance. What do you gotta again. lose? <laughs> and and 
being in the moment and kind of just being excited. Oh my God, this is like a childhood idol of mine that I'm finally seeing for the first and likely only time in my life. I was I was consumed. Oh, we're with gonna that. see him again. He's at Baltimore. We're gonna see. Is him he really? He's oh, in I was gonna say we're gonna see him in a couple weeks when we drive to his house in the middle th- of the night. I thought he was going to be at Baltimore. I could be if wrong. If he's but... in Baltimore and I and shit is unresolved at that point, I'll fucking confront him. I would. Oh please God, let it be unresolved. <laughs> I, I mean, like I won't. <laughs> I won't walk up to him and punch him in the face, but I'll be like, dude, come on. You have brought up punching people in the face. A lot lately. Well, you saw the look on that that one potential Spider-Man candidate. You wanted to punch him in the face. I did. I'm very peaceful. Oh yeah, that kid's super. That kid's ugly. He can't. He can't be Spider-Man. But anyway, um, I was so consumed and wrapped up in the moment of the excitement of doing it and 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 the conversation that we had. It just didn't matter. The money didn't matter. I just wanted to enjoy this experience. It was about the experience of meeting the guy as much as it was actually getting the um, the cool drawing that he was going to do for me. Um, granted, he's given me quite a story to tell, but um, I think I would have preferred a, a more positive story that, you know, someone sees this neat artwork on my wall at home and I could tell them the, the cool story about the time I met Rob Liefeld. Now I can be like, huh, yeah. Yeah, boy, do I have a story for you now. It, it can, it can be salvaged. Rob, send me my damn drawing. Strong words. Maybe he isn't going to be at Baltimore. I'm looking through. I thought that he was going to be a guest, but it doesn't appear that he will be there. Part of me almost feels like maybe he lost the drawing, and then I will get a different Savage Dragon drawing in the mail like later, and I'll be like, this doesn't look like what was posted on Instagram. <laughs> this is gonna It'll be, be a stick a figure. Stick figure. <laughs> it won't even be that. It'll just be like a It'll napkin be- with like coffee stains <laughs> on it, like, and his signature. <laughs> Like, he was really cool. He signed the button, the Deadpool button he, that you drew, Ian. You know, like, because he was charging 20 bucks for autographs, or maybe it was 15 I think it was 20 And I said, well, you know, I'm getting the sketch. Would you mind signing this for my friend? He's like, yeah, that's cool. And he did it. And I was like, okay, this is a cool guy. That was really cool. I was really excited about that. That was part of the reason that uh, kind of turned me around on my feelings about Rob Liefeld and kind of went to bat for him about being a good guy to the people that were supporting him and a nice guy for his fans to deal with, but it seems like maybe that's not the case. Maybe I will reach out on Twitter and just give him my damn address, put it out there. Uh, Listeners, if you want to check Twitter, my address will be out there. You can send flowers or letters of sympathy, whatever. Or power rings. You can send power rings if you want. And, uh... And, and I'll, don't worry, loyal listeners, I will keep you abreast of the situation as we move forward. I, it makes me so happy to hear these updates. I want you to have this sketch, though. I want to have the sketch, too. I'm excited about it. I, like, granted, I think I'd rather have my money back at this point, yeah. but, I mean, well, the sketch will be nice. Why don't we shift gears to another passion of Matt's that is also probably going to let him down. That is the remake of Big Trouble in Little China, starring Dwayne Johnson 
as Jack Burton. Jack Burton. More like Black Burton. <laughs> I don't get it. He is not black. They then G.I. Joey is. <laughs> Guy's like a fucking chameleon. He is. So Matt, you're a big Kurt Russell, 80s Big Trouble in Little China guy. Uh, you were having a uh, potential chest tattoo worked up based on the movie. Yeah, I was. Now they're going to remake it? Possibly one of your favorite, your top three favorite movies of all time? No, I wouldn't. It's certainly in my top ten. Top ten, okay. When we do top, when you guys do top three movies, like, do you group Star Wars as one? Ah, jeez, oh man. I, I think so. Um, if I if I can't, it's just going to be Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> if I have to pick one, and that's it, then I pick Empire, and I move on to something different, though. I think we all do that. Uh, well, I just say Star, Star Wars, Wars collectively is is my number one. But I mean, whatever. Is Empire your favorite movie? Period, Ian. Yes. Paul, yours as well. Yeah. Cool. It's probably mine too. That original is so good, though. Ian, Ian and I were just talking talking a couple days ago about how we hammer stuff we like, and if you listen to the show, you know that you know we enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. And we beat it up. We enjoyed Age of, Age of Ultron, and we really beat it up. Mostly because we really didn't enjoy that one as much as we thought once we left the theater. But we were joking that the three of us would sit down and watch Empire Strikes Back right now and record a podcast after and beat it to death. Just beat the <laughs> shit out of it. Like, I am your father. How fucking transparent. Get out of here. So, uh, getting back to Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China um, was a John Carpenter movie from 1986. It was kind of different than John Carpenter's usual fare. Normally, he did, like, horror movies. Uh, At the time, he was considered, like, the master horror storyteller. But this one was kind of an action comedy that had maybe some uh, more subtle horror elements infused to it. But... um, a lot of it is for nostalgic reasons, but that movie to me is like sacred. It, I love it. It's it's so good. I love it beginning to end. The characters, the story, the you know the designs and everything are j- just amazing. So I just read that this later this afternoon. I read that they're gonna remake it with um, with a box office champion himself, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, can't argue with that title. San Andreas proves anything. He can carry a movie by himself now. now. now he was able to carry that movie and Alexandra Daddario's breasts. Now, is that... What's that? Like his daughter. Wasn't Carla Gugino his, the love interest? Yeah, but like I don't mean he fucked her in that movie. I mean that like... He just, that's how strong he is. How big and oh, how oh, I see what draw he is. Because those he breasts are all that heavy monumentous. Um, yeah. So apparently, the the screenplay is going to be. Um, I guess it's going to be done by uh, Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz, who did X Men First Class. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of promising, but I mean, this is a movie that just doesn't need to be remade, number one. It just doesn't need to be. It's like, 
Almost like if you told me Star Wars was getting remade, I'd be like, fuck you. No, don't do that. You know, just out of pure curiosity, I would like to see the remake Star Wars. I mean, I don't... I, I, I don't expect that I hear it what you're saying. I hear what good you're or live up to the original, but I think it would be really neat I to follow the process of I such an iconic movie. I honestly think that in our lifetime, we will see that happen. They'll remake the original trilogy. I really do think that. In our lifetime? In our lifetime, yeah. Yes, it'll yes. happen. Sadly, it will happen. Yes. Because there are certain things that that are very sacred, in my opinion, in cinema. Granted, maybe not Big Trouble in Little China, that's more of a personal thing, but, you know, it's been how many years and The Wizard of Oz hasn't been remade. Spin-offs and things that have to do with yeah, it, but how, that hasn't been remade. Is that? It's very weird, and I'll tell you why it's especially weird. It's because it was not originally a film or a musical. It started out as a kid's book by Frank L. Baum, and... It's actually a really good book. It's a great story. And at the time, Frank L. Baum was considered the the greatest American storyteller. But, I mean, I don't know if he still is. I think maybe that's George R.R. R. Martin at this point. But um, He's the Greg Berlanti of our, but, <laughs> the old days. But the book is vastly different than the musical. The musical is for kids. Not that... The Frank L. Baum story isn't, but it's dark. It's got dark elements to it that, that, if translated to film, could be very, very violent and dark and a little bit scary. And I personally would love to see that. I, I've always said, read the book and tell me that Guillermo del Toro wouldn't be perfect to remake the Wizard of Oz. Even the witch's castle and the flying monkeys in the musical are a little bit disturbing. Mm-hmm. Now, Let's did, face it, the munchkins are the most disturbing thing of all. Uh, they are pretty odd. You think so? Are you kidding me? Now, did he also huh. write Return to Oz, or was that some screenwriter <clears throat> that did that? Because there are a lot of disturbing elements in that. I film. think he did write that or parts of it, because I do believe that he wrote many more spin-offs that had to that took place in Oz or about Oz but uh, The Wizard of Oz was the original and it was the best um, it even has like a it's not really an epilogue but it kind of is in the context of the of the musical movie which by the way was not the first film version of The Wizard of Oz published May 17th 1900 The Wonderful Wizard of Oz yeah there was a, a movie in like 1919 or 1920 or something like that. It was a silent film. It was The Wizard of Oz. Ian, you'll like this. There was a character named Snowball in it uh, who was... Tell me more. Let's just put it this way. It was so fucking racist. It was painfully racist. Um, but... That's what it was at the time, you know? That was the world that we were living or that those fucking racists were living in. Um, I'd love to see that movie, though. Have you ever seen any of the old... I, I did see it. Yeah, oh yeah? It is terrible. <laughs> it is the worst piece of shit I have ever seen. It, it had a piano uh, track that right. ran the entire movie, and it was on a loop. And it probably looped maybe every three minutes 
two oh minutes. Oh, my God. For, like, and it was... For hours. It, yeah, this movie was probably damn near 20, or 20 hours, two hours long. What an epic. Right. No, it was, like, two hours long, and it, like... I've seen some bad movies in my day. The worst movie I've ever seen was Battlefield Earth with John Travolta. You know, I'd never seen that movie before. It was terrible. But the original silent film version of The Wizard of Oz is a worse movie. Barry Pepper is Battlefield Earth's only saving grace. Um, Hollywood Homicide is a movie that jumps to mind as <laughs> an unwashed, unwatchable Ford's. piece of crap. Harrison Ford and Josh Harnett. How could that be bad? Andre right? 3000 is in that piece as well. I've always been a fan of Josh Hartnett. Now, there was a he sequence was, uh, in Hollywood Homicide that actually made me laugh really hard. Really? Yes. There was a sequence where it was kind of a love scene, which you don't often see Harrison Ford in, but it was a weird love scene where he was with his girlfriend or his wife or whatever, and and she's like wearing his cop hat or something, and she takes a donut and feeds <laughs> I him. I thought you were going to say takes a dump. <laughs> for sure that's where you were going and I laughed it was so funny she shit right on his chest um, I was like what the fuck is this movie <laughs> no she feeds him a, and he takes a big bite out of the donut with like this sexy music playing and I didn't know how funny it was supposed to be but it was hysterical and I think I saw that when I went I, I think I was literally the only person in the theater uh and I, I was just cracking up, and I hated it up until that point, and after that point. <laughs> I might have spiked. to rewatch it just for that part. Yeah. That I clearly remember. I can't remember what the plot of the movie was. It was just horrible. Harrison Ford was, he was just checked out. He wasn't into it. No. It and it wasn't it was necessarily his fault. It was fucking shitty movie making. That if I had to put a second. Bad movie of all time, Mulholland Drive mm. is insanely terrible. Never saw it. It's one of those movies where it's a David Lynch movie, and it's it's it jumps all around. Mm -hmm. There are things that are out of place, sort of Quentin Tarantino esque, where people die and then they come back because you're not watching it chronologically. And it's one of those movies where you start off and you're you're waiting for it to click into place and make sense. I feel Memento was kind of like that, where it didn't really make a lot of sense, and then at the end it all falls into place. Mulholland Drive, I was waiting, 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 never clicked into place. I went online to try to find an explanation for this movie. To this day, you can't find anyone that can explain what that movie's about. <laughs> So that would be All right. that's my second vote for awful movie. Very hot lesbian scene in that movie oh, though. Well, so well, yeah, I want to check it out now. Uh, so Big Trouble in Little China probably doesn't need to be remade, but they are going to remake it, and it looks like it's going to star The Rock. Now Dwayne Johnson apparently is a big fan of Big Trouble in Little China. Well, then again, so am I. I don't think I should star in the movie, so neither should he. But he's going to star. And I'm trying to wrap my head around Jack Burton suddenly being the Incredible Hulk, basically. Like, he just, he's not that guy. Like, in a lot of ways, I think they share a similar sense of humor. I think that, you know, that maybe can channel some of that Jack Burton, uh, Kurt Russell brand of humor. But 
he's just he's not a hulking behemoth of a man that's bigger than all of his opposition and everything like when like I don't want to see the three storms come down from the sky and and Jack Burton walk up to them and tower over them like they're puny little like you know peons to him like Jack Burton can't punch his way out of situations he, he doesn't he like dumbfoundedly work his way out of them yeah well the way John yeah. Carpenter and Jack or Jack Burton the way John Carpenter and Kurt Russell described the character of Jack Burton was he thinks he's the main hero but he's he's really the sidekick the main hero was Wang um <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but I, I think some of that can be channeled with, with Dwayne Johnson. But, man, like, dude, he needs to stop the steroids because he, like, he's just too big. He's too big to be taken seriously in any kind of role other than, like, a G.I. Joe or Black Adam or some kind of su- superhero type thing. When I see him looking like a professional wrestler in a more serious role, I say serious, but, like, more slightly more grounded than your superhero type fare that's a really hard thing to like mentally disassociate do you know what i mean yeah i i just think i think he needs to continue to do steroids maybe they just didn't need to cast him in this he's he just doesn't <laughs> he's the he's, wrong guy he's he's great for he's all the stuff that he's the in. wrong guy like but, like a lot of the reason Jack Burton is so likable is the same reason Nathan Fillion's Mal Reynolds is so likable is that he gets his ass kicked most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, he tries to be a tough guy, and he is to a point, but for the most part, like, he... He knows how to take a punch. Right. He, because he, he takes a lot of punches. He doesn't really know how to fight. Yeah. But he'll throw A lot of the punches. times he's the punchline. Right. The Rock is not the punchline. Right. And, yeah, that's that's... Horrible casting. I love The Rock. I do. Love Dwayne Johnson. But not not for it, Jack Burton. I don't know how they're going to... Like, I know he's a trucker. You know, maybe a big, strong guy trucker. I don't know. Maybe that could work. Probably not. I, I'm going to try really hard to be positive about it because I want to like it. I think there's some cool things that maybe they could do on a, on a technical level that they couldn't do originally. I hope that they that they maintain those like little horror elements throughout and keep it kind of spooky and everything. Um, Who's directing it? Um, I don't see. I don't it think they said who the director's going to be. See, this is what this well, going back a step, um, I feel the need to say, Josh Hartnett has really improved with age. He looks so much better now than he did when he was younger. He looked kind goofy when he was younger looking back at some of those oh. Hollywood ho- Hollywood homicide images. I thought he looked okay in th- 30 Days a Night. Um, yeah. From what I remember. Looking at him okay now, in though, his now look- it looks like he, he grew into his face. Oh, that's good. He, yeah. he and his uh, small part in uh, Sin City, he looked fine. Yeah. So. Now, now, here's who I think Jack Burton could who could pull off Jack Burton. I think a Bradley Cooper could do it. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but probably the best choice is kind of the, the, the actor du jour, if you will. Um, Margot Chris, Robbie? Chris Pratt. Mm. 
He he kind of Pratt is he's got the exact everything. sense of no. Think he's, about it. He's got that exact sense of humor. He's got the right physique. You know that's similar to to Kurt Russell circa nineteen eighty six. What that means is he would look good in a tank top. He would look good in a white tank top with tight uh, Wrangler <laughs> jeans. What would be really cool is if they set this movie in the eighties. If they didn't remake it in two thousand fifteen, if it was a period piece. It, would it? Because then it's like, well, they already did that. With yeah, improved special yeah. effects. And a gigantic Jack Burton. Right. Like, this is this is one of those weird movies that a lot of its charm, 30 years later, is in its... It, it just is what it is. Like, it's not all that great, but a lot of disparate pieces came together to make... A pretty solid hole. Right. Like it even was, going back and watching it now, there's like some goofy, uh, you know, like effect stuff. Right. But it's still pretty good. It was it was the right movie at the right time, with the right people involved. <laughs> um, now I, I, I feel like <clears throat> there's nothing that is gonna be released about this movie even including once the trailers come out, that will make me believe that this is going to do any better than the RoboCop remake did compared to the original. Well, I was thinking it's about it. It's going to come out, and people are going to be like, yeah, that was did okay. You, did you see the RoboCop remake? No. It was okay, but it wasn't the original. Exactly. Right. Now, think about this for a minute. They, they've been doing a lot of these like sci-fi-type remakes lately. RoboCop, Total Recall... Now Big Trouble in Little China, um, the, a lot of horror ones, you know, Friday the 13th, Evil Nightmare Dead. on Elm Street, Evil Dead. None of these movies have been even close to as good as the original. None of them. They just can't do it. Please stop trying. Please just be new. Be like. But studios those- are so afraid. To put new product out there. I mean, once you put, once you slap an established name on something, yeah. you already have a set box office. These, these movies set. just, they need to, to tank. Like, the, the, one yeah. of these has to come out and be a complete disaster. Uh, so, hopefully, that'll be like a warning sign, like, eh, you might not want to remake it. People are starting to get kind of like on to how kind of mediocre these things are. <clears throat> yeah, but there's. There's still a lot of original stuff that's coming out. Well, no, there is, but all the um, what I'm saying specifically the remakes. Name one that was better than the original recently. I can say that I really did like Evil Dead a lot. I, I don't know. If I, it, I really liked Evil Dead. I don't know if it was better than the original, but it was a quality film. See, I was never agreed. I was never sentimentally attached to the original. I only saw it once years ago, so I'm inclined to say it was better than. The original, but that kind that kind of horror genre, I feel like you can reboot something like that, and it doesn't have to be so connected to the original. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, and and, and a lot of the time, the horror movies are the ones that feel like have the best chance of trumping the original. Like for example, maybe. Didn't Maybe you, the, didn't you like the Friday the Thirteenth remake? Yeah, I actually did. Jared Padalecki. Right, I did, and and you know what? It was actually a lot better than the original Friday the Thirteenth. It really was. Um, but 
and, and maybe maybe I wasn't being fair by lumping all of these remakes uh, together and saying they're all crappy or inferior versions because I guess there were some. As a matter of fact, as much as I love John Carpenter, I may like I, I don't know I'm still on the fence, but I may like the remake of Halloween better. Most people don't. Most people hate those Halloween movies, but I kind of like them. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was the original one. one oh, I think oh, the original. The, yeah. um, the the first remake the because they were remake. Jessica Biel remake. Yeah. Not Head the and shoulders better than the original, which was dog shit. The original. I don't know why anyone likes that movie. It's it's really bad. Like it's fucking stupid. But that was a really well made. That well. Re- I think at the, well-made t- at the time re- it was revision. so bizarre. But since then, like we've grown up with. Yeah. Just equally bizarre things. Well, okay, so like looking at it a little bit, like expanding our our thoughts on the whole remake thing, it sounds like horror movies are the genre where you can kind of get away with it and it works. Why is but, that? I don't know, but like sci-fi, yeah, you can't really do it. Can't really do it. Would so we're not lumping the J.J. Abrams Star Trek into this because it's not a remake. It's just a reboot. A continuation. Um, yeah, I guess it is a continuation. Boy, that's a tough one because I think technically, yeah, it's a it's a continuation, but I also think technically it's a better movie than the majority of it's, the Star Treks that came. It's before. kind of a reboot, you know. It's it was made to be an accessible. Uh, version of Star Trek which <laughs> upset all the existing Trekkies and it pleased everyone else in the world. I enjoy that one just like you said Paul uh, more than almost every other Star it, Trek movie and I like Star Trek a lot the but Star I Trek. would say that that's in my that might be I don't know that might be my second favorite Star Trek movie I what's enjoyed your, what's your first one? Wrath of Khan I mean I right? No. Well, you, you, Matt, you don't have any patience for Star Trek, right? Pretty, if, no, no. That, if we're if we're trading in honesty tonight, do we do we not do we barter and lie and <laughs> deceit? Well, when, once well, I <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I think if, if I think if if to be totally honest, I think the Voyage Home is my favorite Star Trek movie. Which one is that? The, one, the one where they the go witness. back in time. Oh my God, I hate that one. Are so you fucking, fucking serious? Bad. Jesus that Christ! That so good. It's terrible. There's no Enterprise in it. Who the fuck cares? I care. That's the coolest part about Star Trek is that is it the Enterprise in the starship battles, not fish out of water yeah, horse manure. Those starship battles where they're just stationary ships I shooting like, stuff at each other. I like that shit. And you don't really see anything. You just see everyone slowly in the room creeping. to one side. Slowly creeping. No, get out of here. Yeah, the Voyage Home. Voyage Home and then the Abrams Star Trek. Yeah, no, Voyage and, Home is really them. low on my then, list. But I'm in the minority. I'm, I'm in the minority. Well, no one everybody likes, loves no the fucking likes Voyage Home. No, everybody likes that stupid Star whale. Trek Star Hardcore Star Trek fans. No, doesn't Larry like that one? He loves that one. He's har- really hardcore. He is hardcore. And he likes that one. Nothing I less. I think he's the exception to the rule. Nothing more. Really? We'll have to talk to him about this. Matt, favorite Star Trek movie? The J.J. Abrams one. Least favorite? Um, Probably the original. The movie. 
Yeah, it was a piece the of shit. The motion picture. Yeah, the motion picture. It's really, I never really sci-fi. I didn't fucking like by it. definition of science fiction. It's fucking V'ger. get yeah. out of here, you boring <laughs> ass motherfuckers. But like none of the uh, next generation ones. I didn't like any of those really. I guess I like Nemesis a little I bit. I think it was. Um, I was listening to the Big Pool podcast, and they said they were said. They decided that the reason the Next Generation movies didn't work is because the cast was a TV cast. Mm. They weren't. They didn't have that charisma to work on the big screen. The original cast was just. They were a film cast that just happened to start in in TV, but they yeah. had the dramatic yeah, they qualities. They translated a lot better to the big screen, whereas. You know, uh, Riker and Data and yeah. Worf just did not. And I'll even take the search for Spock over a lot of the, the other Star Trek movies. That one was really good. Christopher Lloyd was a really good villain as that head Klingon dude. You remember that? I barely remember. Oh, so man. The, the, I'd like to sit down and watch those again. The Bird of Prey in that one was a really fucking oh, scary... Um, is that the one where they're they're they take for control Spock. of the bird of prey like Kirk's craft captaining the Klingon ship? At the end of the movie, they beam themselves onto that ship because the Enterprise they have to self destruct the Enterprise, and that's how they get the bird of prey that's for the right. voyage home. I remember my mom saying she cried when they blew up the Enterprise. Man, I'll tell you what, it fucking upset me. As a little kid, seeing the trailer and seeing the Enterprise blowing up and and flying down to that planet and fucking destroyed, I was upset, man. That that was upsetting. It would be like if the Millennium Falcon exploded and that was in a trailer. I had that much emotional attachment to the Enterprise. I don't think it would be that bad. If the Falcon, if the Falcon blew up, no, 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 what you were describing, the Millennium Falcon blowing up would be heartbreaking. But wait, no, I don't know, man. It it really, it was upsetting. I, I, I feel that feel. That, I feel like the feel uh, first of all, there's a new Enterprise all the time. So not at that point, though, man. It, no, you didn't know that like you were going to get it in every fucking movie. And they even they took an entire movie to bring it back. So at that point, when they're looking for whales oh yeah that's right they don't get it back until the end of the very end so i'm like oh are we done with the enterprise it's upsetting years and years of my life matt well um yeah i just never could really get into the star treks you know like i had heard how great um wrath of khan is and i finally watched it and i was like seriously did it (laughs) did it take man i wish i had a fucking gif of that condescension (laughs) the fucking eye roll the head tilt Every second of it was pure matte gold. See, it surprises me. You didn't watch it at all when you were a little kid? My brother was into Star Trek, and and I feel like a lot of things he was into... Uh, This is the root of it. Everything that your brother liked. Goddamn, Tony. Yeah. You fucking hate. Transformers. Star Trek. Um... I, I tried really hard to get into it when The Undiscovered Country came out. Uh, my friend Craig at the time, the Star Trek Six, right? My friend Craig at the time told me, because we were huge Star Wars fans, and he said, we got to see the new Star Trek because it's just like Star Wars, you know? It's a lot like Star Wars. And I was like, well, there's no new Star Wars, you know? We, 
Every time we go to the video store, we can never find episode one, two, or three. So, because we kind of thought those existed somewhere, like they were made in the early 70s or something. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 And uh, so we went ahead and we saw The Undiscovered Country, and I just thought, wow, that sucked. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same as Star Wars. Not even close. But it has its own place. I mean, I think that you have to grow up with both of them and watching both of them as a as a, a kid for you to appreciate them. I don't think that you can come on late. Well, I mean, I was a kid when I saw The Undiscovered Country. I mean, I was probably 10 or 11 at the most. I don't know. That's I think you you're an old man at that point set in his way. You had already gone to the new construction site. You had stared death in his eyes by riding your bike over the uh, the the wooden, <laughs> the wooden plank. I mean, what? you were you were seasoned veteran. Was Undiscovered Country the last original cast movie? Uh, and then they brought a couple of them back for Nemesis after that. Generations was the next. Larry, that was the connect. Larry is he's losing his, his mind. He's listening li- to this. Then it was First Contact, and then it was Nemesis. I think First Contact was the one with the Borg. Is that right? I don't know. It was the one where they went back to present day to find some kind of like there's rocket a, engineer or something. There's another one in there too, where they just like crash on a they fucking were just, planet. They were two-hour TV episodes. They were lame. They were lame. Star Trek was lame. It's always been lame until J.J. Abrams did something. Star like Wars did up. Wrath of Khan, man. Hey, is, Love that is movie. Is it a coincidence that those are the most successful fucking Star Treks ever? No, because they're actually good. Sorry. Ooh. In your face, nerds. Hey, man. Sorry I didn't like your favorite movie. Hey. Actually, you do like my favorite movie. <laughs> So, um, I, I wanted to bring up another remake, which is probably the worst of all, the, the most unnecessary of all remakes, which I fear this Big Trouble in Little China remake might kind of be like the worst offender, we didn't mention it, is the Karate Kid. Ugh. The worst of all the fucking remakes. The most unnecessary. You know why? Because the original holds up brilliantly. Incredible acting, incredible characters, a heartfelt story, very emotional. Um, It's easy to root for the main characters. You are invested beginning to end. The remake of The Karate Kid, first of all, the word karate is never mentioned in the remake of The Karate Kid. That little piece of shit is doing kung fu. Big difference. Cries Japanese martial art. Ian, as you know, kung fu is a Chinese martial art. It's insulting to the to the arts. It kind to the martial of is. arts. It kind of is. Um, I don't care that little Jaden Smith can kick high. Fuck you. I want Ralph Macchio to beat your white Batman suit wearing ass from here back to China. That was Ralph, terrible. Ralph Macchio, along with Martin Cove, will be at Pittsburgh Comic Con this year. So you can tell him in person. Well, I was thinking you... about getting a commission from Ralph Macchio, but hopefully I'll <laughs> pick it up in time. So, you know, I, I never saw the Jackie Chan remake, so I can't really hammer it. Jackie Chan... I can't is, imagine that me, it's any good. Okay, I saw it. Let me tell you something. The kid actually wasn't that bad of an actor. And it, it wasn't 
he makes himself more unlikable in real life, and that carries over into the movie. The kid in the movie isn't that atrocious, but he is so utterly unlikable in real life that you just you can't disassociate. And there's that, and just the utter unnecessariness. What's the word, Paul? Unnecessarity? What is the word there? <laughs> uh, say that sentence again. The utter unnecessariness. Unnecessarity. Yes. Unnecessariness. What's the word? Unnecessariosity? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even fucking know. All those fucking unnecessary offshoots are so fucking crazy. <laughs> and they're all wrong. But anyway. The, it is... It, was I don't just, know, it changed utter, the structure was, of the sentence. It, it is utterly, utterly unnecessary. unnecessary. Yes. That, uh, it just was. You had a nice performance by Jackie Chan. You know, there were heartfelt moments in it, but... There were heartfelt moments in the original. There was nothing in the original that you're like, man, this is just kind of lacking a little bit. I really feel like they could, they could make this better. Are you serious? There's fucking one black guy in the entire movie. Of course it's lacking in something. I didn't say blacking. I said lacking. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so that's coming out eventually. I would like to shift gears to a comic book that I read, um, that I read this weekend, uh, called, now you wouldn't know it by looking at the cover because the fucking title is completely unreadable. Matt showed me this earlier and I was, <laughs> I looked at it for 10 hard seconds trying to figure out what the fuck this thing's I literally had Hold to on a second. Let me see the cover and I will tell the <laughs> listeners at home. Okay. Let me, let I, me I had to look at like the publishing info on the inside of the cover to see what it says. Well, I even had a hard time with Odyssey, the Matt Fraction book, which oh. is it's just spelled O D C Y, I yeah. think. Yeah, like it that. looks. This looks like. Oh, my my itch, my itch with an eyeball at the top. Is the eyeball a letter? Is the I don't know. I'm saying no. My itchy eyeballs. The my itch. That's what I'm Let saying. Let me see it. Let me try it. Let me Go try ahead, it again. Go ahead, you try it. Yeah, I got nothing. Matt, what's it called? It's called Mythic. Oh. Oh, now I see okay. it. Okay. Fail image design. Fail. That eyeball. At least we knew Axis was either Axis or Sixus. How are they gonna incorporate that? title treatment into all of the Cover upcoming of covers because it's a mess well let's put it this way hopefully there are no more covers it's a mess around i did not like this comic book it's written by phil hester art by john mccray um and and i just want to say that ryan hughes did the logo and the design ryan hughes I think you need a new profession because that was a terrible logo. I have seen more legible death metal logos in my day. Now, those are hard to come by. Those are, yeah. Now, um, the comic book in and of itself really wasn't that bad. It, basically, the, the premise is there is a world that exists um, that we think we understand it because we know science. Uh, 
But science is just a convenient way to veil the truth, which is there are there's magic at play. You know, like certain like the tides at night are because not because of the moon, but it's because of I don't know, like giant sea creatures moving around or something. Earthquakes or giant lizards <clears throat> fighting under the world. Um, the sun is uh, like a chariot god, like uh, with a flaming chariot. That's what's happening in this book. Something like that. They're trying to explain away what we perceive as science and we think we understand. Well, the truth is none of that is true. And, and so there's a group of people that... Um, I don't know exactly what they do, but I think they're trying to keep things in balance because they understand the way the world works and they try to keep things in balance and moving along so that way, like, the world doesn't crumble or whatever, society doesn't crumble. Um, kind of an interesting premise, but one that I've read before. This comic book is a complete ripoff of a novel that I read called Monster um, by Ailey Martinez. It's essentially the exact same thing. Like, the main characters in the book Mythic, the comic book Mythic, work for an organization and they have a, a, a card. Um, I don't have the book in front of me, but um, I can't remember what the organization is called, but there's a panel that shows it. Whereas... Mythic in, Lore Services. There you go. Um... In the uh, in the book Monster, it, the organization is the Crypto Bio Biological Containment and Rescue Services. It's the uh, the CCRS. That's the abbreviation, Ian. Um, but it's the same premise. There's a guy that that goes out and he tries to um, keep everything in balance by uh, dealing with monsters and, and and demons and things from hell and things like that. And it's it's such like a magical level. This is in the book Monster that that the the world is unaware of it. They when they see things they don't even remember because it it, it exists on a level that like regular humans can't comprehend. I got the gist that that's also what's going on in in Mythic, but it hasn't been really like explained yet. But I feel like that's what they were trying to describe. And. Uh, in the book Monster, there was one character that the main character actually she was sort of like able to. She was able to remember what she was seeing, like she was tapping into this whole understanding of like this other world that exists. And the main character in Mythic looks like he kind of is able to see these monsters and deal with them and, and fight them and things like that, just like the character in Monster could. And I thought, oh my god, this is. A complete ripoff. Like the premise is exactly the same. No, the details are different, but the premise is exactly the same. Sounds and, a little bit like Hellblazer, is what like Hellblazer or Men in Black. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, very similar, but specifically magic. Yeah. Like the the similarities are, are like really really blatant to me yeah. between Monster and Mythic, and um, and I really like Monster and. And as I was reading Mythic, I just I like didn't like it at all. The artwork's pretty good. It's pretty good. The logo's Phil Hester's really awesome. Um, I don't know about draw. he's a good artist. He oh, he's he the writer. Oh boy, he's the writer. Uh, the the artist is John McRae, mm. um, which 
it isn't bad. There's a really cool splash page on the second page of this comic. Well, actually, it's sort of the first page um, of this creepy weirdo woman walking into this like pawn shop, and I was just like, wow, that's kind of a cool shot. It, I thought it established a really nice tone. It was kind of dark and a little bit creepy, a little bit funny. Um, boy, did that book go downhill fast because it was it was bullshit. It's it really does because as you've been talking about this, I started at the beginning and I'm like, you know what? I kind of like the art in this. It reminds me of the Nailbiter stuff, and but the further through I got, then I was like, ugh. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't... I don't know if this guy drew the book in chronological order, <laughs> and by the end he was just phoning it in, but that's what it feels like. By the end he was just like, eh, whatever. Yep, yep. It's um, it's a shame, because I wanted it to be good, but it it's just, if you want to read anything like what I just described, read Monster. It's really good. It's funny. It's got great characters. Ailey Martinez is a great writer. Um, so... But don't buy Mythic. I can tell you that right now. Don't buy Mythic. Won't do it. Paul, real quick before we go. Yeah. Uh, I lent you Ninjak, which we talked about last week. Ninjak number one. Yeah. Which I enjoyed. Um, and, uh, and you read it. And I, did. I, I, I think myself and the listeners at large and Ian... The sauce. Want to know what did you think? Did you like it? I did. I, I liked it quite a bit. And here's one of the reasons I liked it so much. I get so excited when Paul likes stuff that I liked because I find that to be kind of rare, and it's it's always kind of fun to be on the same page as like your nemesis. It happens more than you give him credit for, but it's always for different reasons. So that, for <laughs> me, that's the interesting part. It's not that he likes it, it's why he's going to like it, and then you guys fight about that. Uh, you're saying that it happens more often than I give it credit for, for me and him, or for him and anyone? Um, For you and him, uh, maybe for anyone. Paul likes more things than we give him credit for. Thank you, Ian. I liked... Uh... I like the entire book. Uh, Matt Kite co-wrote the Valiant four-issue series. Kent Kite, whatever, which I really liked. He wrote this, so I think I might be a Matt Kent slash Kite fan. Uh, Clay Man does the artwork, and there's a really cool panel in here. One of the bad guys in the beginning, um, she has scientifically enhanced hair so that it can cut through metal. And there's a panel... Where oh, with it, where it's going through the sword? Yeah, where it's tied around the sword. Yeah. And you can see where the sword's breaking in places because of it. And I thought that was just such a neat little detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. But ultimately, I like Ninjak. I forget what his real name is. Jeez, um, I forget what his real name is, too. I, don't, I forget. But he essentially has all the skills of Bruce Wayne. He's the Batman right. of the Valiant universe. But... He's not broody. He's not dark. He's not. He's not angsty. He doesn't have issues to work out. He's like, yeah, I'm the best at what I do. I'm fucking rich, and I'm living it up. He is a free-flowing dude. Mm -hmm. He's a happy guy. <laughs> you know, I. I, 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 I like. Guy I like the character. I get those so happy tired ninjas. of fucking. Paul's a big happy ninja I, guy. Yeah, I get so tired of the fucking broody, <laughs> angsty crap all the time. 
And one of the, that's one of the reasons I love Hal Jordan. He's, Hal Jordan's like, fucking superpowers. This is awesome. Yeah. And that's contrast with Arrow and Flash, too, because in the TV show, Flash gets his powers, and he's like, this is great. But the whole time, Arrow's like, I can't love. Uh, fuck you. Yes, you can. You look like Stephen Amell. You have all the money in the world. Why the fuck aren't you happy? And you're an expert archer. Come on, son. Yeah, Ninjak was Ninjak was real cool. Archery uh, can't buy you happiness, man. Or horse shit. So uh, I'm gonna check out the rest of uh, Ninjak. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool, cool so far. Ian, was there any books or anything you wanted to mention real quick? Nope. That you written? No. No. Nothing. Didn't do any reading this week. Just some drawing. Just some drawing. What were you drawing? Finishing up commissions and personal projects for people. Doing a lot of portrait work and some logo stuff. Wow. Not really. This guy. Keeping busy. Very busy, actually. Like a real artist. Yeah. <laughs> I'd prefer to, you know, get back to the exhausting of it all. But, yep. Just busy drawing. Duty calls. That's going to do it tonight. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Cassell. Thanks to everyone for listening. that really pisses me off to no end.